Will you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there, speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Respond with me. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I'm so thankful this morning that when I called for mercy, he heard my cry, aren't you? I'm glad today that I did not get what I deserve. I'm glad today that God in his unmerited favor has given me what I don't deserve, his amazing love. If you're glad for that this morning, say amen. We have so much to be thankful for today, and I want to encourage you this morning as we, as, we, as we share in this time together, as we continue to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts, I just want to encourage you that as the Holy Spirit brings to mind a way that he's worked in your life today, would you just breathe a word of thanksgiving to our God? He is so very good to us, amen? And if you've been walking with Jesus for some time, there are going to be things that resonate within your heart this morning as the Spirit speaks. Just praise Him for those. And then there's going to be other things that the Holy Spirit may speak to your heart today. And it might be a voice of conviction. Or it might be a voice of, I want to do this in you. Would you then say, let it be, Lord. Let it be, Lord. Have your way in me. I trust that you'll join me in those prayers throughout our time together this morning. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 9, thank you Emily for reading the word this morning. Acts chapter 9, we'll be looking there at those passages that she's read for us today. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the fact that, 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 that God has an amazing ability to transform the lives of those who will just allow him to work in them. And it's been so wonderful to be reminded of different stories and passages and circumstances throughout Scripture where God has worked in a powerful, powerful way. And the great part about it, the great thing that we've been reminding you of over these last few weeks is that his transformation just didn't take place in the book of Acts, aren't you glad? But the transforming power of our God is still at work today, right now, in this place. If you're glad for that this morning, say amen. We have such an amazing God who is able to transform. And, and, and the wonderful thing that I want to remind you about his transforming power today, we've talked about a lot of different aspects of it, 
But the one thing I want you to really see today about the amazing transforming power of our God is no one is beyond God's reach and care. If you're thankful for that this morning, say amen. No one is beyond his reach and his care. I met a lady a few years ago who truly believed this fact that no one was beyond God's reach and his care. She prayed that God would transform someone who was very close to her. This lady's name was Eva, and the first time that I met her, I met her in the intensive care unit of the hospital. I went to visit Eva. I, I just, uh, we just accepted the call to pastor, uh, th not this church, but another church that we had pastored in the past. And, and, and I, she was a very, one of the very first people in the church that I met as I went to the hospital to check on her. And as I went into that intensive care room, Eva was in her late 70s by this point, and she was not doing well physically at all. But when I walked in the room, her face lit up. She made a, a, a young pastor feel like a million dollars in the emergency. You met somebody like that? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, she's just one of those kinds of people that you walk in and you leave feeling better. You thought you were encouraging her. She encourages you instead, right? And one of the things that Eva shared with me that day right there in the, in the ICU room of that hospital was about her son. Her son's name was Jesse. And she shared with me, she said, Pastor, you know, I'm just trusting God for my health and he's going to help me. He's been so faithful to me. But uh, Pastor, I want you to know about my son. And she began to share with me that Jesse was in his early 50s and that she'd been praying for Jesse. He'd grown up in a Christian home, but he'd never accepted Christ. And that she'd been praying for Jesse her, her whole adult life since Jesse had been born to come to know Jesus Christ. If you're glad for people who pray for you, say amen. Before you even know about Jesus, before he's even reached out to you, that there are people praying. And Eva was one of those people. She'd been praying for her son, and, 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 her, and her, prayers, her prayer was, Pastor, you can pray for me. Like, I'm here in the hospital, and I'd appreciate your prayers, but I really want you to pray. When you pray, I really want you to pray for Jesse, that God will somehow transform him. I prayed for her that day. We said our goodbyes. Eva did recover and came out of the hospital. And for the next three or four years, almost every time I had a conversation with Eva, do you want to tell me what she said? Pray for Jesse. Pray for Jesse. Pray for my son, Jesse. Pray for my son, Jesse. For the next three or four years, she prayed and prayed and continued to pray as she'd done her whole adult life. After three or four years, um, she was back in the hospital again. And, and this time, things didn't look well. I went to see her, and of course, same thing, pray for Jesse. A few days later, Eva went to meet Jesus. Two weeks later after that, Jesse came to church on a Sunday morning. And within the month, Jesse accepted Christ as his Savior. That was about 10 years ago, and he's still living for Jesus today. You see, God was able to transform Jesse because of the prayers of somebody who loved and cared about him. Aren't you thankful today that God can transform anyone? Anyone. And you're going to hear different examples and different stories, and I'll share another story or two with you, and you're going to see a couple of videos of people whose lives... I just want you to hear the difference in the stories and how people were walking different roads and going different places and doing different things, and yet through every story, you're going to hear the common denominator as this. God can transform anyone, anywhere. Aren't you thankful? He wants to do that right here in this place 
today. Acts chapter 9 contains one of the amazing stories of transformation in all of Scripture. I love how Luke, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, paints this beautiful picture for us of Saul's transformation. And so I want us to look together and kind of break down the story of Saul and, and, and see it uh, afresh today, maybe for the first time, okay? Uh, I want you to see, to begin with, that I want you to see who Saul was before. Let's look at verse 1, Acts chapter 9, and let's, let's read it again. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. I want to remind you this morning of who Saul was. Uh, let me just remind you that Saul, his, as God transformed him, his name would be changed to... Paul. And we're all familiar with Paul, right? I mean, the majority of the New Testament is written by him. All of the missionary work and the great things that happen. But I want you to, to kind of remember that and then think about this is who Paul was before this transformation had taken place. Saul was a passionate and driven man. But at this point in his life, before he was converted to Christianity, he was passionate and driven to put a stop to those who were, who were believing in Jesus Christ, who, who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, who believed that God had raised him from the dead, who believed he did this amazing work on the cross where we could be forgiven and set free. And Saul said, I don't believe any of that, and I'm going to do everything that I can do to put a stop to this Christianity thing. I'm going, to, I'm going to do everything I can to put a stop to it. And he was so passionate about that. In fact, we can see here that Saul is on his way to this distant city of Damascus for, for one reason and one reason only. The only reason that Saul was on this road today, this day was because he was going there to capture Christians and to bring them back to be tried in front of the council and, 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 and in hopes even that some of them would be put to death. If you were a Christian anywhere in the known world at that time, the last thing you wanted was for Saul to be knocking at your door. I'm just telling you, it was the last thing that you wanted. In fact, I want you to hear later after Paul, after Saul has converted his name changed to Paul, I want you to hear what he says about himself. Sometimes the greatest testimony about who we were comes from our own lips, right? The greatest testimony. Here we go. Acts chapter 22, uh, beginning with verse 3. Here's Paul speaking. Paul said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city under Gamaliel. I was, trained, I was trained in the law of our fathers and was just as jealous for God as any of you here today. And here's what he says. I persecuted the followers of this way, speaking of Christianity, to their death. I persecuted them to their, to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. Paul's own testimony. Acts 26, here's what he says. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name Jesus of Nazareth. Think about what he's saying. I want to oppose it, everything possible. And that's what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. He's saying I was happy for that. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. That's where we find Saul today, right? On, on the road to Damascus to persecute the Christians. 
Later in Galatians, here's what he would write to the church there. He said, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How, he uses this word, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. In other words, he's saying, like, the last thing that I wanted to see was Christianity begin to grow and prosper. And so I lived my life to put it to death. I lived my life to put a stop to the, to, the, to the spread of the news about Jesus Christ. He was leading the charge to destroy, to destroy Christians. No one was more passionate in the known world, I believe, at this time than Saul. I, I've often thought that the Jewish leadership must have enjoyed having Saul on the payroll a lot. I mean, he was the guy they would send out to do the dirty work for them, right? I mean, he, he went to do it for them. And so... When Saul wakes up on this otherwise ordinary day, going about his ordinary work, heading on his way to Damascus this day, let me tell you, it was just another day in the life of Saul. Excited about going to Damascus, excited about trying to do what, what he felt like was the right thing to do this day, and so he starts on his way. But I don't only want you to see who Saul was, but I want you to see what happens on this otherwise ordinary. Can I just remind you that a lot of times God breaks in on ordinary days. On days when we're not expecting it, God can break in and begin to speak to our hearts in new and fresh ways, desiring to transform us. In fact, if you think about your own testimony, if you're a Christian today, I'll tell you, it was probably like me, just another ordinary day. And here's where we find Saul. Look with me. Notice what happens to Saul this day, verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood, stood there speechless, and they heard the sound, but did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. This what was an ordinary day all of a sudden quickly transforms. It quickly changes into what would be a day that Saul would never forget for the rest of his life. In fact, this ordinary day is still speaking to us this morning. Aren't you thankful that God can take ordinary days and make them extraordinary? If you are, say amen, right? I mean, we've experienced that, and that's what we see here. Notice what the scripture tells us. The first thing we see is Saul was awakened. There was this flash of light that we see here in verse 3, and, 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 and he was awakened. And I want you to realize today that God has a way of awakening us. Those of you who didn't get a very good sleep last night, right? I'm not talking just about awakening us physically, right? But I'm talking about God has a way of awakening, awakening us spiritually. A way of, in Saul's case, it was this flash of light. But in our case, it may not be a visible light that we see. But aren't you thankful for the light of heaven that has shined into your life? And he awakens us to things and gives us understanding. And all of a sudden, we understand things that we haven't before. God was able to wake Saul up to the reality of his love and his care and help him to see how much he really and truly loved him. I thought about the awakening that came in Jesse's life as I share with you that story. 
It was awakening that came actually through the death of his mother. If he were to give you the testimony of that, he would share with you that he knew his mom had been praying for him for years. But it was after she passed away that all of a sudden there was an awakening in his heart and he realized his need for God. I'm glad God never gives up on us, aren't you? That awakening doesn't always come in settings like this. The greatest awakening in my life to what God really wanted to do with, with me was in a hospital room when Jaron was a baby and so very sick and I was sitting in a chair beside his bed and there was an awakening that took place in my heart to the fact that God really did love and care for me and knew exactly what was going on in my life but it was so much bigger than that. I realized for the very first time that God had a plan for my life and that awakening began to take place in me and the great part is if we were to go around the room today to those who have been spiritually awakened to what God is doing in you while every testimony would be different we would all be able to point to a time in our life somewhere along the way where God's light shined in and we were awakened if you've been awakened this morning say amen like it's happened to us it happened to Saul on this road he was awakened to the work of God and what God wanted to do and then we see he was humbled it says he fell to the ground and, and, and he fell to the ground in response to probably all that was taking place and some people some Bible scholars describe this as quite an event that happened um, this day like environmentally around Saul and we, we don't know exactly but I can tell you this Saul's response was right he falls to the ground a sign of humility before God a sign of just simply acknowledging God like you are so great God you are so really big and I'm humbled to think that you care about me I was in an airplane this week if you've ever flown and you look down and it's a clear night you can see lights everywhere if it's a clear day you can even see if you get as you're landing especially you can see cars driving around and I don't know about you but there are times when those thoughts run through my mind I just can't understand how God can know who's in that car right who's in that car what's going on over here I see people walking around like how do, this is just a small geographic area how does God keep track of all of this and care about everybody can I tell you that's how big our God is because he knows exactly what's taking place in your life he knows where you're going he knows what's happening he knows where you're headed and he cares and he reaches out and in his grace and his mercy he reaches out to you and he reminds you of his love and he begins to draw you to him and our response to the awakening of that fact has to be simple humility one of the reasons that we still have altars in our church is because we value the fact that there are moments and times in our life where the Holy Spirit is going to speak new truth into our life and the greatest the greatest response that we can have to that awakening that comes is to humbly fall before God and open our heart to him and say God have your way in me and I'm glad that that didn't happen just once for me but I'm, ha I'm happy and, and, you, and I know you are too to, to be reminded that those humble experiences happen over and over and over again and sometimes it's in place where we can do it and when we can kneel before God here and sometimes it's just a simple kneeling of our heart before God and acknowledging God I surrender myself to you today Saul did that here he goes on we go on through this and we see in verses four and five that Saul was also very attentive to what the Lord was speaking and and he, and he, and he had a conversation with God aren't you glad that we can converse with God 
Aren't you thankful today that God speaks to us and, and we can share with him how we're feeling and he speaks to us and we can, we can share with him? So we see this conversation that takes place here, but we also see that, that the conversation ends in Saul's simple obedience. God says, go, and, and Saul went. I'm glad today that God is still speaking and transforming and awakening, but he's also sharing with us, I want you to go, I want you to be, and then, and then we can just be obedient to what God speaks. Saul does that. He obeys God. It was a complete about face for Saul. This is one of the places where I think we completely underestimate this story. We completely underestimate it. Like we don't realize how, like, how enormous the change was in Saul's life, how it would have absolutely radically changed every single thing about life for him. Everything. Because we just read that he was so zealous, right? And, and he was all about persecuting the church. And now all of a sudden he's had an experience with Jesus Christ. And now he's not persecuting the church, but he's feeling this call upon God, that God's call upon him to do what? To advance the work of the church. Everything would have changed for him. And I have to pause and remind you again today, what a beautiful picture of God's grace. Think about this with me. How would you have responded to Saul had you been God? How would you have responded? If Saul was doing everything he could do to put a stop to the advancement of the church, how would you have responded? Don't you think it would have been really easy for God to just say, that's it, you're done, right? That light that shined on that road would have been a bolt of lightning and Saul would have been a little speck on the ground. Right? I mean, th that's probably how we would have responded. Can I say this? God, in his infinite mercy and grace, doesn't send a bolt of lightning. He sends just enough light to awaken the heart of Saul to the true love of God. You see, that's the mercy of our God, folks. Mercy simply means this. You don't get what you deserve. Saul did not get what he deserved this day. And because God didn't get him what he deserved, instead he gives him and extends him grace and then unfolds this plan for his life. Can you imagine what that must have been like? And we should all say amen because we've had the same grace and mercy extended to us. I wish somehow I could get us all to just stop and think about what we really deserve God doesn't give us that God didn't kill him God saved him a reminder for those of us who may be here this morning and say have said things and maybe you've said things like this before if I go to church the roof will cave in you ever hear everybody say that if I go to church the roof will cave in or lightning will strike or God could never love me after all that I've done, God could never love me. Can I remind you today that God is a guy that meets us right in the middle of the mess we're in and doesn't strike us dead, but he draws near to us to speak. And everybody said, so glad for that this morning. There's a lady today who I know now loves Jesus very much and she pours his love out of her life into the, into the lives of so many around her. She is one of those people that is absolutely a joy and a blessing to be around.
She has a heart of compassion for people in need, and she just, she just finds creative ways to try to help and bless anyone who she knows is, finds themselves in need. But when I first met her a number of years ago now, it was a Friday afternoon. I still remember where I was when I got a call from her sister. Her sister attended the church where I was pastoring, and, and her sister called me that particular day, and I could tell something was wrong the second I answered the phone. She wasn't herself. And um, she began to, to share with me what her sister was going through. I'd never met her sister. I'd prayed for her a few times, but we had never met before. And she told me, she said, here's what's going on my sister, with my sister. She was around 30. She had a good job. Uh, her and her husband uh, were together, had some children. Um, she had a good job, worked in the area of finance. She'd grown up in the church, but after she uh, got through high school and was married, she kind of drifted away um, from God. That night, she came over to my house, her sister came over to my house to meet with me after a phone call, and she began to share more about what was taking place. She'd worked in this job in finance for many years and loved the job that she was working in. But a couple of years before, um, things had began to get really difficult for her and her family financially. And in a moment of desperation, she found a way to begin to skim just a little bit of money from the company that she worked for. For the next two years, she continued to take a little here and a little there and kind of under the radar and nobody really knew until one day when somebody noticed and came to her and, and confronted her about what they'd found. And when they began to investigate, it was very clear what happened. The young lady immediately lost her job. She faced charges. She had to tell her family and coworkers what had happened. And all of these things had come down on this Friday afternoon and I got a phone call. She sat at my kitchen table that night in the ashes of the situation that she was in, and she wondered, what do I do now? Will my family forgive me? But the bigger question that she was wrestling with, you know the question, will God forgive me? The enemy of her soul was telling her there was absolutely no hope. Hear me this morning. Because see, this is what the enemy of our soul does. He tries to convince us in our moments of desperation that there's no hope that there's no way out, that there's no way things are going to work. And in that moment, that was what was taking place. The enemy of her soul was speaking to her. There's no way out of this. And she said she had thoughts that afternoon of even taking her own life. But God, in his infinite grace and mercy, began to shine his light into her life. And through a sister who loved and cared for her, drew her and said, why don't you come and talk to the pastor? And I'm just being honest, like this was one of those moments that we talked about a couple of weeks ago where I was praying, Lord, you've got to help me, right? And over the next couple hours, we talked and we prayed. And right there in my, at my kitchen table in my house, the Holy Spirit came. Can I just tell you that I'm glad that it's not up to me to know what to say, but in the moments when we need him the most, that it's the Holy Spirit that speaks the loudest, and the Holy Spirit began to awaken her heart, and I watched her countenance begin to change, and nothing about her circumstances had changed. She still faced all of the same things that she was facing when she walked into my house that night, but I just have to tell you, that day, the Holy Spirit came on the scene and began a transforming work in this young lady's life, and he helped her. He provided for her. She still had to go through a whole lot of stuff, but aren't you glad that even, that even if you have to go through the consequences of our sin, that God is there to walk every step with us. If you're thankful for that, say amen. Like that's the work of God. And he continues to transform her 
today and bring healing today and use her today. And he's had a plan for her life and she's being used of God in great ways all these years later, all because she opened her heart to the Holy Spirit of God who, when it seemed like there's no hope, was reaching out to her and drawing her back to him. I'm thankful today. You hear me say it from time to time, but I'm so thankful today that our moments of, great, of the greatest dis- desperation in our life, whether we're Saul or the young lady that I'm talking to you about or Jesse or some of the other people we're going to hear about today, I'm just telling you, God doesn't step away from us in our moments of desperation. He steps into our lives. He steps into our mess. He steps into the ruins. And, and he begins to embrace us and remind us that there's always hope in Jesus Christ. If you're glad for that, say amen. Notice with me now who Saul would become. If you know the story, God not only spoke to Saul, but he spoke to a follower of Christ. This follower of Christ who Saul had come to Damascus to arrest and take back to Jerusalem, God speaks to this man named Ananias and tells him to go to such and such a place and, and minister to Saul. Well, Ananias, Ananias, Ananias knows, check and see if you're awake. Ananias knows who Saul is. He's heard all about him, like word travels fast about this guy that's going out and arresting Christians. Ananias knows exactly who he is, and he has to say, God, wait a minute, like, you want me to do what? You want me to go to who? But Ananias obeys the voice of God. Just a reminder for us that, again, no one is beyond God's grace. And no one should be beyond our grace. I'm pausing intentionally here this morning. No one is beyond God's grace. And no one should be beyond our grace. Ananias took steps to go to Saul. Only because God poured his grace into Ananias' life to be able to extend it to him. And... Jaron had a side sermon last week, so here's mine for today. If there's relationships where we're struggling to extend God's grace to those who the Holy Spirit is laying on our heart to extend grace to, can I just tell you, it's not up to you. You've got to pray and ask God to pour his grace into your life, to extend it to others. There was a transformation that took place in Ananias' life before he ever met Saul, before he ever went to that house. God did a work in Ananias' life. We need to be vessels that God can use. Not judgmental Pharisees who refuse to let God work through them. We need to be vessels God can use, Christians. It's it's always incredible as I think about this story to think that God didn't need Ananias on the road to Damascus. Right? Jesus spoke directly to Saul himself. And yet before the story's over, he's reaching out and saying, I want to use you to go to him. I want to use you to bless him. I want to use you to work in his life. I want, to, I want you to witness my power. I want you to witness the transformation that I can do in the lives of others. Aren't you thankful today that we get to witness transformations take place in others? We get to be a little part of that whole process, right? We should thank God every day when we're seeing and being used by him to extend his grace into the lives of other people. Look at what happens here with me. Verse 17, look at what happens here with me to Saul. Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Now thinking, think about this. He places his hand on Saul, the persecutor of the church, the guy that came 
to, with hopes to kill Ananias. Ananias is now laying his hand, get that picture in your mind, on Saul. Brother Saul. Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, that's the transforming work of God. That's the transforming work that continues. Saul, you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as soon as Ananias said this, it says, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Think about it. Like, it was not the way he intended on spending those days when he left Jerusalem, right? But now he's spending several days with those disciples, and God is doing a unifying work. Think about what God is teaching the church here. I am able to transform anyone. The church in Damascus is learning this firsthand. Like, don't you think they went out with a new confidence? Don't you think they went out with a new boldness to share about Jesus Christ? Don't, they, don't you think they said the rest of their entire life, if God can transform Saul, who was on his way to murder us, who was on his way to tray us back to Jerusalem, if God can do that, like, there's nothing he can't do. This was a transforming day for the church in Damascus. And then it says this, and we read right over it. Verse 20, at once he began, this is Saul, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Trying to stomp it out. Got to kill him, got to get him back to Jerusalem, got to try to get him to trip up so we can put him to death. And then two days later, let me tell you about Jesus. I met him on the road. My heart was awake, and I've got to tell you, I was saying, I know a few days ago that this was all a farce, but let me tell you today, Jesus Christ is alive and well, and he can change you, and he can transform you, and he forgives. And let me say it, if he can forgive me, Saul would say he can forgive anyone. Complete about face. You see, that's the essence of genuine repentance, a complete about face, a complete turnaround being used by God. That's what happens when we encounter Jesus Christ, when we're transformed and start living and loving and serving God in the way he desires. And the good news is this. Just as Jesus extended grace and mercy on the road to Damascus and transformed Saul, he wants to transform you. And he wants to transform me and change our lives forever. I want you to hear a couple of testimonies this morning. And while in a lot of ways they're very different, I want you to listen very much this morning for the transforming work of Jesus Christ as you hear both of them today. Listen to how Jesus meets us right where we are. Listen. Before I was a believer, I was running from God, thinking, you know, I could solve all my problems on my own. And I just remember being an angry kid. Um, I, everything, you know, nothing seemed fair, I guess. 
and I had depression and anxiety and um, I started drinking in eighth grade. In high school, you know, I experimented with drugs. Most of it, I think, was to not feel, but then there were times, you know, where I inflicted self-pain or injury so that I could feel. So I think it was almost having control of my feelings or my environment at that point. Then I was pregnant when I was 20, but although I was pushed from the church at that time, I could sense God was drawing me closer to Him. Um, this pregnancy taught me that there was something greater than myself, something greater than the world, and I wanted to find what that was, but nothing made me feel the way I felt when I read the Bible. And I read it cover to cover, and I just knew that that was truth, and um, that was kind of my answer at that time, I guess. I was going to church sometimes, you know, um, doing Bible studies, learning new things. I was learning about uh, the book of Acts, you know, the Holy Spirit. I had never heard that growing up, that power, you know, that was available. I saw the power in my kids when they went to church and they were praising in ways that I couldn't. And, um, but the other part of me was lonely and stressed out and addicted to alcohol and searching for acceptance in places that I shouldn't have been. And I ended up getting a DUI, and uh, I spent a couple nights in jail. And I, you know, I had time to really think about things, and I knew that something had to change. So I think that was the fall of uh, 2011. So that following January is when I was baptized, and it was one of the greatest moments of my life. Um, but I remember part of me wishing that it would have this like instantaneous transformation, right? Like I would come out someone new that I wouldn't struggle anymore, um, but that wasn't the case. Um, so, you know, it was a slow transformation. It was kind of a day-to-day -day learning um, and just allowing the Holy Spirit um, to kind of break down that selfish wall and the part of me that sought my own will and, you know, me being stubborn, it took some time. Max and I, you know, we took the membership classes. So I started here in October, and so it was that following January we started. January 1st was also our first day of sobriety, and um, then we started taking the membership classes, and it just fit everything that we had been looking for. All of our beliefs um, just matched. So we became members of the church, dedicated our children to the church and then we were able to see Layla and Leo be baptized that April you know it's really it's been such a beautiful journey here in the very beginning God showed me that he is my heavenly father he is the father of perfect love and that I can trust him um, he never gave up on me he always saw my true potential um, he protected me He's always brought people around me who could guide me and show me that grace and that love. Um, and he's given me strength and self-control. None of this transformation would have been possible without him, without his strength, the power of the Holy Spirit. I couldn't have done any of this on my own. Um, he never gave up on me. Uh, he never failed me. You know, he has been faithful this whole time. And because of that, that is why I 
want to live my life for him. You know, he rescued me from my darkest, loneliest, most selfish days of my life and started me on this journey that could draw me closer and closer to him. Well, I was initially transformed by God while I was out hunting. Uh, I was in a deer stand. When I left the cabin to go hunting that morning, that was the furthest thing from my mind. I uh, someday had, like most of us, had planned to get right, but not that day. So I go up, get in my tree stand. It's about 5 o'clock, 5.30. And I had no sooner climbed in the stand And the Holy Spirit came in such a mighty way. I didn't hear any audible voices, but it was just as real as me sitting here today, trying to tell what happened. And there was a great battle that went on because I did not want God telling me what to do. That's what it boiled down to. But thank the Lord at some point he helped me to surrender. And the victory came up there in the dark. Nobody but me and the Lord and the devil fighting a terrible battle. But God saw fit, in spite of myself, to come and save me when I didn't want to be saved. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. And this is the God that by the grace of God and the blood of Jesus I'm serving today. Not because I decided to. And I think back all the time, why would I get right that day? And I think it was so real that I was scared that God would never speak to me again if I did not make the decision. And I wanted to get sanctified so bad, I knew I needed it, and I was praying. And we were down to the indoor camp at the Nazarene, Seymour. And I, we was just so full, and I was in the overflow, and I was praying at the end of the service, and just standing back there. Didn't feel anything really, but I was at work a few months later, out jogging, and I was praying while I threw chocolate. And the Lord came and sanctified me just thoroughly and completely. Doing two things that I like to do, hunting and jogging. That song, He Came to Me, is my battle cry, if you will, when I wouldn't go to Jesus of all the heartache and sorrow and meanness going on in the world. Some little fellow like myself, he had time to come speak to me. Can we celebrate God's transforming power this morning? Would you join me? Two completely different stories to remind us today that God can transform anyone. No matter where we are, 
no matter what we've done, there's hope for you today. There's hope for your son. There's hope for your daughter. There's hope for your coworker. There's hope for your neighbor, your friend. There's hope for all today because Jesus Christ came and he's still coming to us this morning. If you're glad for that, say amen. I have a friend who, um, in, a, in the ministry who recently sold his house and uh, is transitioning to a new position, recently put his house on the market and is transitioning to a new position. And he was sharing with me, uh, if you've ever sold a house, you know how difficult that that can be. Um, and he was sharing with me that, um, that they, they, they had done a lot of things to fix their house up. You know, all the things that you do to go through that, fixed it up and, and, they, and they cleaned it really well, but they have four young children. Ah, see? Four young children in the house, and uh, he said they'd shown the house a few times, but no, no, no offers were made, and he said he was at church on a Sunday morning. They, they had had one couple that came and looked at it, really liked it, but it had been three or four weeks gone by, hadn't heard anything. He said he went to church on a Sunday morning. It was That week was moving week, so they were packing. They had boxes everywhere. The kids had been, of course, there in the house, and, and, and they went to church on that Sunday morning. He said while he was in church, he was preaching that day. He, he finished preaching, went down, picked up his cell phone, and there was a text from this couple who had looked at it a few weeks before, and they said, is there any way we can come and look at your house today at noon? And in his mind, he's thinking, oh, my goodness, all the boxes and the kids' messes and everything. And he's like, ah, oh, yeah, I don't think that's going to work out. Oh, we, please, we'd love to see the house. He said, it's a mess. We don't care. We just want to come. My parents are in town. We want to show my parents. So now they got a traveling band with them, right? And he's like, I just took a deep breath and thought, you know, there's a 0% chance we're going to sell this house, but okay, sure, come on over. He said they came over. He said there was stuff everywhere. He said I was so embarrassed. And he said they looked around and talked and shared and, and, uh, and, 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 and then they left. He said later that day, they had an offer to buy the house for everything that they were wanting for it. And he was sharing with me this story, and later I reflected on it, and I thought, isn't that like our God? You know, so often we say, God, before I show you the house, I want to get it cleaned up. Like, I got to make sure everything's just right. Before, before you can come and look, God, I just want to try to... And God's saying, just let me come and see it. Just let me come in. Just let me take up residence. I don't care about the mess. I don't care about all this stuff. Just let me come to you. Can I remind you today that Jesus Christ has already purchased you? He purchased you on the cross. His blood was shed once and for all for the forgiveness of everyone. All we have to do is open our heart and simply receive it. So can I just tell you this morning, stop worrying about the mess. Stop worrying about all the things, all the excuses, and just say, Jesus, would you come? Transform me. Change me. I'd like for you to stand with me, if you would, this morning, and bow your heads with me. And I want to say a prayer. Pastor Nathan's going to come. I want to say a prayer. And then I want to invite you to come and pray this morning. Maybe you're here today, and you sense the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. He's awakened your heart this morning. I'd like for you to come. Maybe today you know that there was a moment when you had a close relationship with Jesus, but for whatever reason that has changed, and the Holy Spirit is reaching out to you once again, and you'd like to come. As Pastor Nathan sings, come and just obey the Spirit. Father, we love you this morning, and we're thankful today is the day of transformation. We're grateful for all the testimonies we heard, but Lord, we each need our own testimony.
we all need to be able to share of what you've done in our hearts and our lives. And so we just pray that today would be the fresh day of transformation. In Jesus' name. Heads are bowed as you listen to this song this morning. Would you be obedient to the Holy Spirit? Um,